Look at your neighbor and say, who am I? Now, just look at your other neighbor and say, who am I? Amen. I had to have you all do that. Now, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalms chapter 8, verse 3. If you guys come to the church, you'll know that I'm a multifaceted and talented pastor. Uh, brother, give me a little bit more mic on these monitors because I'm not hearing myself. Thank you. Last week at the grand opening is what I like to call the explosive evangelistic preaching. That's when I get all just hot and sweaty. I still might today, you know, red-faced and it's hot. And I was, you got to understand, those of you who are just getting to know me, I got saved in Indiana, Fort Wayne, at my mother's kitchen table. Within a few weeks, started doing street ministry in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but then was called to go to ministry to be trained in a Bible college in Nolens. So I was raised in the South as a preacher, y'all. So, it, you know, as they say, you can take the man out the south, but you can't take the south out the man. So if you ever wonder, why is that white boy preaching like that? That's because I spent seven and a half years eating a whole lot of cayenne pepper in Nolens, baby. Okay, so I want y'all to get what we're doing today. Today's going to be more of a teaching, so look at your neighbor and say, you're going to learn something. I want everybody in this congregation to start to think about this question. It comes so uh, simple to all of us. Who am I? You know, my name's Joe Irostic. I was born on such and such a day. But really, when we go beyond that, who are we? And I want you just to start thinking about how complicated this simple thing can be. Okay, so I'm Joe Irostic. I'm a male. And I was born in January 19th, 1995 in Indiana. Okay, so who am I? Well, that's who I am. Well, how did I get to be there, you know? Well, my mom and dad, they did their thing, and that's where I came from. Well, where did my mom and dad come from? Well, they came from their mom and dad, right? Well, now you start going back to moms and dads, moms and dads, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, so on and so forth. Then what happens? Who knows? Do we have records passed, you know, 5,000 B.C.? That's when they say modern civilization started. Well, now here's where people start saying you get into the idea of science. Everybody say science. So now you have guys like, uh, you know, uh, Charles Darwin that now want to begin to start answering where you came from. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of these guys' lives, but what happened was a certain time in, in Western, uh, the Western world is we began to, to question the things that we used to take for granted, which was we believe that after we couldn't count grandmas and grandpas anymore, that we could begin to say, well, we were created by God. Well, people began to question that. They began to say, really? Well, I don't see God. And they began to point out to the Greek uh, mythology and how people at one time had said, well, God lived on Mount Olympus. Well, eventually somebody climbed what they called Mount Olympus and, you know, Zeus and Hercules, they weren't there. And then we began to say that Poseidon, the God of the sea, he was there. And then people started, you know, getting down into the water. And they said, well, you know, there's no God down there. And at times we used to think that acts of nature, thunderstorms and rain, were, were divine acts of God. Like as if he was angry. Maybe you were a kid and, and you heard the thunder and your parents said, oh, you know what? That's God just moving furniture up there. I don't know if anybody heard that kind of stuff. Well, like I said, around the late 1800s, people began to say, hey. Hey, we're, we're smarter than this. Come on. We, we shouldn't believe that. Let's start to research. And then you have a guy like uh, Charles Darwin, who himself, by the way, the only degree that he had was a biblical degree. That shows you back in the day, Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, all of the Ivy League colleges as we know them today were Bible colleges. So Christians actually weren't ever stupid and just known as sign picketers and just shouting out profanity, I guess, in Jesus' name, going to hell. Okay, we actually have colleges. 
And so that was Darwin's experience. He went to a Bible college, and he began to doubt in his faith for some of the reasons that I'm talking about. And as he was taking a trip studying animals, he went to a place called Galapagos Island, and he began to notice that there was different types of birds, these finches that lived on different parts of the islands. And he began to see that uh, some of the beaks were longer because that the ones who lived by the rocks and had to use their beak to go into the little crags of the rock to get seeds out had to have longer beaks. And those who lived more along the lines of the beach and had to uh, eat from the shore of the fruit of the coconuts, they had a shorter but a stubbier, stronger beak so they could crack open the fruit. And you know what he developed from that? That you and I came from an amoeba in an ocean billions and billions of years ago. Long story short, that's what he said. He said, well, that must mean that there are evolutionary minute changes that over a long period of time turn species into other species. And so then he began to look at the animals and began to say, well, you know, we have so much in common with the ape, and maybe we came from an ape-like ancestor. And then he began to see transitional animals like a penguin. Really, what is it? Is it a bird? Is it a fish? You know, and he began to see, well, maybe these are some examples of transitional things that are going from one species to another. And through that and some other people with them began to develop what we call evolution, which is now just not a myth, and it's not really just a theory in the sense of, I wonder if it's true. It's taught as fact in your science books. Well, hold on. Who am I? Well, I'm Joe, and I come from my parents. I come from my parents. I come from my parents. Well, if it goes back and evolution is true, then I'm really just a product of chance over time, and I'm no different than an animal besides the fact I can use my thumb. That's the only difference. And that's what they want to teach you. And we wonder why when we took the Bibles out of schools and we placed them with metal detectors, why that happened. And why today, instead of the leading cause being disease and these things, the leading cause in America of death is abortion upon our own wounds. It's because now we just believe we're just animals. And really, morality doesn't matter too much now, does it? Because really, if you say it's wrong, well, that's just your opinion. And if I get enough people to say what I think is right, I make it as a law, as they've done in communist and social regimes. All of a sudden, you can say to a Jewish person, you're not even really a person. And you're not really worth much either. And what comes out of the thoughts of evolution, that means that races must be more evolved than the others. That means, if, if think about it, that means there's a certain type of dog that's more uh, stronger than another dog. Well, what follows that in humans? Well, maybe a color of a skin shows that you're not as evolved. And this is the sick, twisted thoughts that begin to come. And this is what today people are arguing with in schools and with our churches. And they're saying, dude, you guys are pretty dumb because you believe you came from God. We believe we came from an ape-like ancestor. We're smart. Somebody say, the Bible says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Say this with me. The Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I don't mean that to be offensive. I'm teaching you what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that that is not true. Are you with me in Psalms chapter 8? Who am I? Let's look at what the psalmist said. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is my, man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Somebody say, God cares for me. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The first thing that you realize right here is that God crowned us with glory and honor and that we are not just one step away from animals. We're one step away from angels. I want you to think about this today. Can a non-living thing like a rock ever produce a living thing? 
No, we've never proven that in science. Can one species become another species? No, that's never been proven in science. The best that they have is changes within species. Yeah, maybe a beak may change on a bird. Yes, maybe there might be a different type of a dog in the prairie than one that lives up north in Alaska. Yes, there may be different types of bunny rabbits that live in different parts of the world. But, my friend, we've never seen a bunny rabbit become a dog. We've never seen a dog become a horse. We've never seen a horse become a man. And it will never happen. This is what I call 21st century mythology. Now, you might be asking yourself, why do people do that? Why would, would smart, intelligent scientists spend their life believing something that really is a mythology? Well, it starts from this premise right here. You see, when David would look at the moon and the stars, he would see a God that set them in place. Well, the moment that you consider a God set them in place, what do you now have to do? Find who that God is. Well, our culture has gotten tired of trying to find who that God is because no matter what they do, they stumble upon us Christians who keep telling them who that God is and that he sent his son Jesus. And it sounds cute and cuddly at first that, yeah, Jesus died for you and he loves you, but they have a problem. You know what the problem they have is that this God who supposedly in their mind created the heavens and the earth and the stars actually has commands. And if we go back to the Garden of Eden, what was the thing that got us into trouble in the first place? When Adam and Eve chose Satan's will over God's will. And what was Satan's lie to them in the book of Genesis chapter 3? If you eat of this fruit, you shall become like God, knowing good and evil. Haven't we always just wanted to do it my way? I remember being at a funeral, and I heard the guy singing the Frank Sinatra song as his father was there. And he says, I dedicate this to my father. He did it his way. And I was saying to myself, if he did it his way, he's in hell right now. Because if you don't go the way, the truth, and the life, there is no way to the Father. I don't say that lightly. I say that with compassion. I make myself available through my cell phone, through the internet to answer questions. But I want you to hear what David is saying. He said, when I looked up at the stars, I realized there must be a God. And then when he realized there must be a God, he began to feel special because he saw that he wasn't like an animal that he was actually like the stories they talk about angels and these Greek gods and these, these, these stories of great renown. He said, it looks like we're like right under these great beings. We can think, we can act, we can rationalize, we can build buildings, we can produce families, we can have offspring, we can feel compassion, we can change the world. And he said, you made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Everybody say, who am I? The first thing that you are is you are a creation of God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. That's the first thing today that you have to understand, that you are a creation of God. Evolution would never answer why you are here. And I don't just say this lightly in a half-hour sermon on Sunday. I, I mean to back this up today and to give you resources if you want them. You are not an accident. I was going to do this, but I thought it might seem a little twisted, but I'll just tell you about it because it hopefully won't seem so bad. You know what I was going to do and bring up here today? I was going to bring up here a bug, and I was going to have it in a little jar. And then in front of you, I was going to squish that bug. Yes, that might have been a little crazy, you know what I'm saying? But I'll just tell you about it. Okay, not so bad. 
And I was going to say here, does anybody feel bad for that bug? Does anybody here going to cry about that bug? Why? Because it's small, it's insignificant, it's not like you and me. It, uh, it has its own existence. It doesn't have a human existence. We don't think about it. It's a bug, right? And then when you think about it, there's tons and zillions of them everywhere. Now I want you to think about your life if you're not a creation of God. Think about this. You are on a planet as a little speck of dirt. That that planet is in a galaxy where that planet is now a little speck of dirt. And then that galaxy, the Milky Way, is now a speck of dirt in an infinitesimal amount of galaxies in this world. World. Do you think your life means much in evolution? Does it really mean much? My friends, the whole human race, according to evolution, could start, implode, start again, start again, the galaxies implode, uh, big bangs happen over and over again, and everything you've done will have been forgotten. Every family member you loved, every person you helped across the street. And so really when Nietzsche said God is dead, really if God is dead, there is no more moral standard. We might as well do without will. Just do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Now, does that sound like the way you raise your children today? Eat, drink, and be merry, kids. We're going to die anyway. We won't be remembered. We're just a speck of dust on a planet that's a speck of dust in a galaxy. That's a speck of dust in all the galaxies in the world. That is a speck of dust to all the potential galaxies over an infinitesimal amount of time. Well, what makes better sense? I'm a creation of God. Somebody say, I'm a creation of God. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said. Come on. Somebody say, then God said. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. Everybody say, that's why I'm not a vegetarian. Amen. He said, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So the first thing that you and I learn is that we are a creation of God made in the image of God. Now, the let us there is talking about the triune nature of God, that God is the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. Maybe as a next series, I'll teach on who our God is, as the psalmist says in another place. Who is this King of glory? We'll talk about that and who God is. But as it's referring to us there, it's referring to the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, let us make man in our own image, and then in our own likeness, and let them have dominion. That's why we are like God. We are in the image of God. Now, what is God's image? God's image has an emotion. That means God, as a person, has emotion. He's not a person of flesh and blood, but as a personality, God has emotion. God has feelings. God has thoughts. Well, when we were made in God's image, that, that is what we got, is the ability to think, have a free will. Everybody raise up your hand. Keep it up right now. And whenever you want to put it down, put it down. It's up to you. See, you have free will. Everybody's deciding on their own when to put it down. You see, God gave us the ability to make our own decisions. That's how we are like God. Now, here's some things I want you to consider. Three evidences that God created us over what evolution teaches us. The first one is the proof from the first cause. Everybody say, the cosmological argument. Pretend like you're excited to be in church this morning. Say the cosmological argument. The first argument that gives us a proof that God created us and not we ourselves or the evolution that we're taught in schools in a big bang that is mindless and without any order. This teaches us that everything in the natural world needs a cause. As the old uh, adage goes that if you found a watch on the beach, what would you assume? That a watch factory exploded millions of years ago and happened to put it all together over time? No, you would assume that there is a watch maker. And as 
people like Dawkins and Hawkins and people like this today in our world want to make this out to be a joke of an argument. It is still the soundest wisdom we have that everything in the natural world has a cause. You came here because somebody had a cause. Maybe on an old Friday night, listen to some Al, Al Green or some Art Kelly, depending what generation you're from, and then you came out nine months later, so you have a cause. And then the sperm and the egg, that had a cause. So everything in the natural world has a cause. We see this in nature. Everything has a cause. Stars have a cause. Galaxies has a cause. Well, what caused those? Here's what they want to teach you in evolution, that nothing exploded nothing, and then something became what we know now as the galaxy. So nothing caused it, and then out of nothing it exploded. So nothing exploded from nothing, and then that's where we come from after billions of years. No, there was a cause. If there's a bang, there's a banger. I believe in the big bang. I just know who banged it. It's God. Are you listening to me? I know who started it. Now, the thing about the Big Bang that now people are, are actually not liking about this is that before in Dawkins' time, there wasn't a solid understanding of the Big Bang. When they were denying God in their theories, they just said the universe was eternal. But then with the Hubble telescope and the red shift of matter out there, we began to see that actually there's an expansion of the universe, and then we began to realize that it came back to a time. And so they mockingly, among the science world, said, said so what are you saying? There was a Big Bang, and that became the theory. And actually, that helped prove what we were always saying all along that God banged it boom he said it that settles it everything in the natural world has a cause now I know some of you are deep thinkers and you're thinking right now you're saying but pastor who created yeah two people were thinking it that's okay the rest of you are going to wake up this morning or or not deep thinkers that's okay we still love you look at your neighbor and say we love you because that you know that comes next well if God uh, is the source of everything and you're saying everything needs a cause well what caused God well you missed the the sentence right there everything in the natural world you see we believe that God is a supernatural being and that God doesn't have matter space and time that's what makes the natural world exist matter what it is space what it takes up and the time that exists but God is a what Spirit. So different from us and the Greek people of the past, we don't say that God is flesh and blood, that he just walks on this earth, that he's kind of God and kind of man. No, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a cause. Now, some of you might say, well, Jesus came on the earth, but Jesus always existed before eternity and then chose at a certain time to be a man. That doesn't mean he is a man. Are you listening to me? The second thing is the proof from design. Everybody say the teleological argument. The teleological argument, and what this means is, if you were to look at Mount Rushmore right now, would you say that happened over billions of years through rain and water erosion? No, what would you say? Somebody designed that. And when we look to the most infinitesimal, smallest things in a microscope, what do we see in the flagellum? What do we see in the things that make up the atomic world and DNA? Do we see things strung together by accident? No, we see that everything has been fine-tuned. Even Hawkins himself, an atheist, who looks at the world, he says if you were to kind of compare what our world is like and how finely-tuned designed it is, he said, imagine a person sitting in NASA 
Arkansas and has a hundred controllers in front of them. And on these hundred controllers, they each have a hundred degrees. They can go from one to a hundred. He says, now imagine all of these hundred controllers having a hundred possibilities, all being tuned to the right sequence and the right number. That makes life. He says, if just one out of the hundred just moves one degree from a 98 to a 97, what we know as earth and life and this existence doesn't even exist anymore. Look at your neighbor and say, that's pretty awesome. You see, God made us this way. We are designed. You don't explain the I. You don't explain the human ability to rationalize and think through evolution. You look at design. The third proof is the moral argument. Everybody say proof for morals. If there is no God, this is the logical uh, place that you will travel, that then there is not an absolute standard of morals, that then there is only a subjective standard of morals. And so why is it wrong to kill your neighbor? Well, it doesn't help along the human race. That's what atheists would say. We're just here to propagate the human race. Okay, well, what about the sick? What about those that are in hospitals? Do you know that even Dawkins and others say, I can't live as a strict atheist? Because what do the animal kingdom do to the sick? They allow them to get eaten by the animals. What do the parents do to their young? They eat them to survive. How many want to go to the hospital and have some barbecue today? See, that's sick and twisted. Why? Because you have a moral conscience. That shows you're made in the image of God. And this is the ring dinger zinger chicken chicken dinner winner winner right here. Because every evolutionist, every atheist lives just like a theist. They live just like us. They raise their children not like they do in the animal kingdom. They raise them like they have a conscience. They don't raise them like they're just a little speck of dirt on an earth that doesn't mean anything. They raise them like it means something. Because it does. And we know that it does. And that's why we know Nazi Germany was wrong when in their courts and in their society they said we determine Jewish people are not fit to live and are not people when they did that in their courts they said this is the law well who was the allied nations the allied nations represented a conscience that said we don't care what you said in your laws they are still people and we're going to put a stop to you and then we put those people on trial as war criminals What do you think it's going to look on the day of judgment when God exposes abortion? Well, we said in our culture that this is not life. God says in my culture it always was life. You're held accountable for that. Somebody say life matters. The second thing that I want you to see is that you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Can you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7? I want to reemphasize what we've already heard a little bit about, that when God made you, He made you in his image. Somebody say, I'm a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Now, this makes sense because you're going to begin to understand some things about yourself. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Everybody say living being. So this means that when God made us, he made us out of the dust of the earth. There's our body. That's why when we go uh, into the grave, from dust you came to dust you go. You know, you've heard that at funerals. Well, because this is just made out of the earth. The Bible backs that up. But then it goes a step further. It said he breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and he became a living being or a living soul. And this is what we call the incorporeal part of man. That is the part of man that you cannot see, but you know is there. And so I want 
want you just to look up here at this little diagram and get an idea of what we're talking about. We're talking about the Spirit is that light inside of you that gives you life. That's that part of you that makes you who you are as a human being. You're not just an animal. A robot would never have that. Now, as a spirit, you operate through your soul. That is your mind, will, and emotions. That's what makes you you. My mind, will, and emotions doesn't act like you. My mind, will, and emotions is different. Sometimes you like things that I don't like. You'll think of things that I don't think of. That makes us a living soul. How many know dogs aren't sitting around talking about, who am I? How many know dogs aren't looking up at the stars going, why am I here? Where do I go? Why do we do that? Because we're a soul. We're a living being. And then what do we have? The body, the five senses. What we touch, what we taste, what we see, what we hear, and what we smell. But what is God interested in? He's interested in all three parts. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about this on the inside. You will live forever without a body. Because who you are is not just a body. Now, you might say, Pastor, help me understand it. Somebody say, make it plain. Where does love come from? How, how do you feel love? That's who you are. That's that place. What about the desire to marry and to have children and the difference between who you're married to and who I'm married to? See, that's where you are. And when this body goes, you go on. You're not just attached to this body. When this body dies and the physical brain is no longer here, the soul and spirit behind the brain will continue on. And this is not just magical thinking. One of the greatest uh, scientists of the mind who studied the activity of how the brain and the mind and personality work believed that we had a soul using the mind like how a driver uses a car. That though the mind and the soul are attached to each other on this earth, It's not just a mind. It's a soul behind the mind that gives a personality. Are you listening to me? So you're not just here by chance. You're actually a unique creation of God with a unique personality. And it's just as unique inwardly as it is outwardly. Look at your neighbor and say, you're just special. Just say you're special. You're just so special. Yes, you are. Here it is, soul, spirit, and body. Now I want to tell you the third thing. Everybody go, I'm a sinner. This is the bad part. Psalms 51 verse 5 says, yes, we are sinners because what we do with our soul is not the right thing. What we act out with our body. That man, David, who was speaking to us at the beginning, Psalms 51 verse 5 says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Somebody say, prove it. I'll prove it right now. Hello. Right now, I want to know who is going around and teaching Bethany how to do things I told her not to do. Which one of you is teaching her to put her hand in the cookie jar? Who keeps telling my baby Bethany to grab that remote after I've told her not to touch it? Who told her how to be sneaky and grab my iPhone when I'm not looking? And she can open it up now. It's unbelievable. Why is it we have the propensity to do wrong? Why is it when we're children we have the temptation to lie? Why? If we technically stayed at home and never had an outside influence, why would we ever lie? 
if it's just a product of our environment. But why does it come so natural? Why do fits come so natural to a child? Why does self, mine, mine, why does it come so natural? It almost looks like in that beautiful uh, package of a baby, there is a malfunction going on. They're beautiful. They smile. They pass gas and they make you laugh. But all of a sudden... They turn into little monsters. They turn into little animals. They start taking things. They start eating. And then you tell them not to do it. I'm telling you, if you do it again, I'm going to slap your head if you do it again. And then you walk away and you see them looking at it. And then they look at you. And then they look at it. They look at you. And then looking at you, it begins the great heist. And then you catch them with their hand in the cookie jar or their hand on the iPhone or their hand on the remote. Because we were born with a conscience, and we're born beautiful in the image of God. But yet, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are born with this imperfection, this desire to do wrong. And if it's not for a parent to sometimes slap the hand or correct us, we would become something even worse than we've ever imagined. People have said to us, I don't believe there's a God. There's so much evil here. My friend, if there wasn't a God here, you couldn't even stand to live here. The Bible talks about times when people denied the existence of God. They did whatever they wanted. They raped each other. They pillaged each other. They killed. Nazi Germany would look like a picnic. Are you listening to me? You see, somewhere along the line, we have to recognize that our desires to sin are actually a part of who we are. We've got to be honest with ourselves and say, yeah, that, that's a part of who I am. You know, I don't want it with hands raised here. But if I asked all the gentlemen here, how many of you does it come natural to want to have sex with multiple women? Guys would have to be honest and go, yeah, well, that's me, Pastor. You know why? Because it's natural for us not to have one wife, but to have sex all the time. And to have other wives. When people went out and had their a choice of wives, the Bible says that one man, Solomon, had 300 wives and 300 just hookups. That meant concubines. He had 600 women. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a, lot of, that's a whole lot of shaking going on. <laughs> but you might say to yourself right now, Pastor, you know, uh, come on, Pastor, you know, I mean, cookie jar, you know. Yeah, that's when we're children, but, you know, I've matured. I'm so mature, okay? And I know how to live. And I'm pretty good. And I think just, you know, good moral standards, you know, like atheists say, I don't need a God to be good. Okay, how many want to take a good person test? Everybody say, I want to take a test. Yeah, be excited. Here it is. Let's take a good person test. You got a note there on your announcements. Take some notes. Let's see how well you do today. Have you ever put something before God? Yes or no? That means have you ever done something in life where God was second? Whether it was missing church for something in the family, whether it was not praying but watching the game, just anything you put before God. How about number two? Have you ever worshipped something other than God? Have you ever just said, man, I love this thing so much, man. I love my TV. I love this. Have you ever just worshipped something other than God? Yes or no? Number three, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? You ever done that? You ever acted out of anger and just said, God blank or Jesus, and you said his name the wrong way? How about number four? Have you ever placed things before coming to church? 
It's not just honoring God, but honoring his church. Have you ever said, well, you know, I'll go another day, or it's okay, I'll skip this day. God understands. Gathering together with the brothers and sisters, that's not necessarily always important. Well, put a yes or no there. How about number five? Here's a good one. All the parents can say amen. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Come on, parents. Have have you ever had to correct your children? Parents, have you ever yourself been children and we're disobedient. See, we're not talking about murdering people right now, are we? We're not talking about whether or not you're next Jeffrey Dahmer or a Columbine shooter, but we're talking about some pretty important things. That's only half of the test. I wonder how you're faring right now. Let's keep going. Have you ever cursed in anger at someone on the highway coming into the parking lot today? Somewhere in life, have you ever got angry and just cursed somebody out? How about number seven? Have you ever wished to have sex outside of marriage? Quiet. Yes. Boop. Period. Number eight. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Girls, did you ever borrow something and you still got it in your closet right now? Ladies, come on. Fellas, you got some tools in the tool cabinet right now that go all the way back to your grandpa's house? Come on, did you ever take something that didn't belong to you? How about number nine, have you ever lied? And number ten, have you ever been jealous? You know what God's good person test is for us? The commandments. Every one of these is the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do not place an idol before me. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Obey your father and your mother. Do not be murderous. And Jesus said, do not commit murder means to be angry with your brother in your heart. Do not commit adultery or sex outside of marriage. Do not steal. Do not lie. And do not covet. My friends, I want you to look at Romans chapter 3. This is how Paul concluded the matter for everybody. Are we any better? Not at all. So anybody who thinks you're better than somebody else, you're not better. Trust me. We have already made the charge. He made a charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands God, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even done, uh, not even one. Everybody say that settles it. You see, today we are now under God's wrath. Go to Romans chapter 1 verse 18. It gets a little bumpy on the road right now of who you are, but it makes sense, doesn't it? You're a creation of God. You were made in God's image. That explains who you are. You are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. And what you do with that is mostly you sin and you desire to sin. And even if you say, I only tell little white lies, it's still sin. Well, now there's a problem because this creator God who made you from the very beginning said that I will judge your sin. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 18. This is Paul again. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. When we tell a lie, what are we doing? 
suppressing the truth. We know better. When we take something that we're not supposed to, when we lie and cheat on our taxes, what are we doing? Suppressing the truth. When we have lustful thoughts in our mind or curse somebody out, what are we doing? We're suppressing what we know we ought to do. You see, the standard isn't what should I do. No, the standard is what are you doing? And look at Romans chapter 2, just another few verses, 4 through 6. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realize that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Everybody say repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment, everybody say righteous judgment, when his righteous judgment, thank you, will be revealed. Now look at verse 6. God will give to each person according to what he has done. You see, my friends, you and I are going to stand before God one day. The God that created us. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He was a man who taught mythology at Oxford University, was an atheist until his middle 40s, and then having a friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the the book and the movies that now we call The Lord of the Rings. C.S. Lewis began to talk with him, and he began to be convinced that God in the Bible wasn't a myth, but really that the Bible answers all the questions of why we're here. And then he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and he said, this is what Christianity means to me. And he began to talk about people like himself who didn't believe a God. He said, these are like people who go down into a basement or a cave, and then in pitch darkness, they scribble on the, on, the raw, on the wall, there is no sun. They no more can blot out the sun because they hide from it and just believe it than they can blot out God by saying, I don't believe. I can say to you right now, I don't believe in gravity, but when I jump, it's still there. You can get upset with God, angry with God, say it's not fair that I was born a sinner, not fair that I'm tempted to sin. You can have all of these angry thoughts towards God, but it doesn't change. You will face God his way on his day of judgment and it will be righteous so you got to be ready to meet God look at your neighbor and say I'm finding out who I am I want you to think about your day in court now I don't know about you but I did break some laws before I was a Christian and I had to go to court and I'm not proud of these days at all but I'll tell you something my friends those days in court would definitely put the fear of God in you You know, we think that the judge is going to think like us. I remember I was caught shoplifting. They knew that I had did it. The guy who was undercover caught me, and they brought me before the judge. And I just, you know, as about like a 14, 15-year-old, I thought I would put together this story, you know. You know, I put the, the jeans in the bag because I was going to pay for them, and I just forgot. And in my brain as a 14-year-old, I mean, that made sense, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking, I believe that. The judge will understand that. And I remember telling the story to the judge, and he said, because you have told me that ridiculous story, I'm giving you twice as much community service and I remember thinking to myself the judge does not think the way I do don't we always say this God understands you know when we do something wrong and maybe your wife says to your husband you know you shouldn't do that and you'll say well you just don't understand and then maybe you're doing something wrong morally and a pastor or a Christian comes up to you and says, hey, you shouldn't curse like that. Well, you know, come on, I'm not an angry person. Well, you know, God understands. Don't judge me. Let me tell you something. When you stand before God, it will be a day of terror, the Bible says. And if it isn't for the blood of Jesus, which we're about ready to get to, because it's going to get good right here at the end, he is not going to excuse any of your sins. Your day of court is going to be before him and the angels of heaven and all your deeds. Remember what that scripture just said right here? It says God will give to each person according 
to what he has done. You stand before God, and God is going to say, I saw you lie. I saw you steal. I saw you have thoughts of anger towards your friend and your neighbor. I saw the lust in your heart. I saw you take things that were not yours. I saw you disobey your parents. I saw you put your hobbies and activities and your job and everything and your vacation before me and my kingdom. I saw you covet. I saw you become jealous. I saw you want what other people have. You are guilty. And the Bible says he will stand that day as a righteous judge. Now, some of you might think to yourself, as some people have already said, well, on that day, I will plead my case. On that day, I will plead my case. Well, let's take the example of this. If somebody had committed murder, and let's think of something that we all would find despicable. Somebody murders an innocent child. I remember pastoring a church. A mother did not want her child anymore. Took her baby, put it in a garbage bag, and threw it on the train tracks. Stood before a court. Now, you've got a just judge, somebody that we as a people have elected to uphold the law. Everybody say the law. As she pleads her case, is there anything that that just judge is going to do that's still right to excuse that murder? Oh, well, you didn't mean it. Okay, well, we excuse the murder. Would that be a good judge? Would it be a good judge that just says, okay, well, you're sorry. Okay, you're sorry. You're sorry you did it. All right, well, then you're excused. What would we say about that judge? That's an unjust judge. My friends, if you think on that day you're going to have mercy from God because you're trying to tell him you're sorry, there will be no justice because at that point he will act out of righteousness. He will judge you based on your sin. Somebody say, help me, Jesus. Hello, number five, come on, turn with me to Romans chapter five, because the story does not end there. You are loved by God. Romans chapter five, verses seven and eight says this to us today. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, somebody say, but God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Woo! I am so happy God died for a sinner like me. Today, my friends, you are loved by God. God cares about you. He sees you as a sinner. Now, don't come up here at the time of prayer and try to make yourself look good. Just confess your sins. Say, I'm guilty, Jesus. You know what I've done. Name them to the Lord, and he'll forgive you. Because he's not looking for goody two-shoes. He's looking for a lost world that he created that is born in sin and lives in sin that's under his righteous wrath. And he's looking to redeem them through the blood of his son, Jesus. Would you stand on your feet and give God a hand clap of praise today. Come on. Band, would you come, please? Today, it's your choice. Today is your choice. Do you want to leave out of here forgiven? Now the question is really back on you. Who are you? Because I know today I'm a creation of God who has a spirit with a soul that lives in a body that has fallen into sin, partly because of the generation before me and partly because of my own mess-ups. And I know that because of my sin that God will judge me. I've read the Bible, and I believe the Bible, my friends. I really do, and I have lots of reasons for that. 
But lastly, I am forgiven. So who are you? Are you just a good person in your own mind and you come to church and you're here to honor your friends or maybe you got a flyer? As much as I would love to say that is all it takes, that is not what it takes. Going to church does not make you born again and forgiven, just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. How many know right now I could go into a car, uh, into a garage and go, vroom, vroom, vroom. does that make me a car? People can come to church, clap their hands, raise their hands, and still not be born again and forgiven. How many know right now I could go to the bank with my bank card and go, you're supposed to give me all that stuff in the safe because I got, I got a bank card that says Chase on it. How many know just having something religious doesn't mean you have heaven? You may have a baptism certificate. You may have been confirmed. You may have a Bible that your great, 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 great grandma gave you. That does not mean you have heaven. My friends, you need to be forgiven. And it is free because he did it for us. And so today, everybody here can be forgiven. And then you can learn what you're here for, which is a good title for a message. What am I doing here? How about next week? Amen. We'll talk about why am I here? Well, you're here for a purpose. You're not here by accident. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this wonderful church, for everyone that came to hear your word today. God, these are not my words. These are the words that come from your scriptures that have instructed us, God, since we've been here. You told Adam and Eve your plan for their life. You've told, Father God, Noah. God, you told Abraham. God, you have always revealed yourself in every generation. God, I pray that right now in this church service that we stop running from you. That people today that need to get right, God, will just do it.